in-between, liminal, that space where we wait between moments, events, results, action, no action, to stand on the threshold waiting for something to end and something new to arrive, a pause in the rumble of time. In between lighting of the match and the kindling of oil, in between choosing of text and the reading of words, in between voices and notes carried through the air into ears to hear, in between creation thrusts ever forward. I borrow those words from my colleague, Kate Walker, minister of the First UU Church in Pittsburgh, and you'll hear more of her poem in between throughout this service. I welcome everyone here this morning to a consideration of the in-between. I'm Jonalu Johnstone, she, her, interim co-lead minister for reflection and discovery, which means that I am all about the in-between. I welcome those of you whose presence has persisted through good times and challenges, and those who have never been with us before, and those who join us online on Vimeo and Facebook. We are indeed in in-between times, as we've had some COVID sprout up this week in the church, affecting both the choir and my colleague, Reverend Chris Jimerson. So I hope everyone will continue to do whatever they need to do to feel safe or at least safe-ish. I do offer a particular welcome to those of you who are guests. I encourage you to fill out the visitor card that you'll find in the pew before you or um, that you'll find online. You can find the visitor card amid the Sunday morning links. And we are pleased that you found us and would love to know more about you. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of divinity in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either in comments online or simply by turning to those who are around you here in the sanctuary to greet the holy among us this morning. And maybe you can find somebody you don't know to say hello to. And now, if you would, please say the words for lighting the chalice with me. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. The mission of this church shapes its ministries and its presence in the world. The congregation wrote it together. Then you put it on the wall in the sanctuary. We say it together every Sunday so that we will more readily carry it out with us in the hearts throughout the week. So let's do this now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Beloved community is central to the mission of this church. So we need to remind ourselves from time to time just what we mean by beloved community. Of course, we know what beloved means and we know what community means. So it can be tempting to think that we know what beloved community is without thinking deeply about it. 
You can find it in your order of service if you have one, a definition from the King Center, because Dr. King spoke a lot about building beloved community. The phrase, though, came about first in the early 20th century from the white religious philosopher Josiah Royce, influenced by the social gospel movement. He defined beloved community as a spiritual or divine community capable of achieving the highest good as well as the common good. Royce believed that every proposed reform, every moral deed is to be tested by whether and to what extent it contributes to the realization of the beloved community. And Dr. King gave us the elaboration that we need to really understand that, the specifics. He taught us that the test of reforms and deeds is what does this mean for those of us who are marginalized? Those whom the black mystic activist Howard Thurman called the disinherited. Those who Dr. King reminded us are poor, black, economically exploited. We need to see what their perspectives are and sometimes directly ask people what their perspectives are about the effects of our deeds or those we are considering. This is a lot harder than the rosy imaginings we may get with the words beloved community. We are not called to a moment of beloved community, but to a continual consideration of everything we say and do in the light of striving to build the beloved community. We are called to test it all. What are the effects of what we say or do on those who are marginalized? the disinherited. Have any of you read the story, The Very Hungry Caterpillar? We're about the caterpillar who just chomps his way through all the different food day after day. That, that's a very sort of calm and steady caterpillar, right? He just, he knows what to do and he just takes it day by day. Today's story is about a very different type of caterpillar. This is called the very impatient caterpillar. <laughs> but what they do have in common is something that all caterpillars have in common, right? What do caterpillars turn into? Butterflies. Yeah, you can say butterflies. And when, we, when they change, do you know what that's called when they make that change from caterpillar to butterfly? What's that called? They turn into a chrysalis, and inside that chrysalis, they have a process that has a special name that starts with M. Does anybody remember what it's called? Do you remember? Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. They metamorphosize inside their chrysalis, who knew that caterpillars and butterflies had so many big words, right? And this is a type of transforming or changing. Do you all want to come up closer so you can see the pictures better? You want to come up close? No? So this is very impatient caterpillar by Ross Burak. Hey, what are you guys doing? We're going to metamorphosize. Meta, what now? Transform into butterflies? Right, right. I knew that. Wait, you're telling me I can become a butterfly? Yes. With wings? Yes. 
For real? Yes. Wait for me. Now what? Build your chrysalis. Chrysalis. Right, right. I knew that. What? How did you do that? Is it a spin or more of a twirl? Am I a butterfly yet? Ugh. Now what? Just be patient and let nature take its course. Patience. Right, right. Mm, I got this. Am I a butterfly yet? No. How about now? No. Now? What do you think? Be patient. I have a question. Not yet. You don't even know what I was going to ask. Fine. Ask. Uh, How's your day going? Also, am I a butterfly yet? No. Just be patient. Shh. We're all trying to metamorphosize. Okay, okay. Obviously, I know this, but do you know how long this takes? Two weeks. Right, right, two weeks. Two weeks? What am I going to do in here for two weeks? Can I get a comic book or something? What if I want a snack? Hello, two pizzas, please. My address? A chrysalis. Click. Hello? Hello? How long have I been in here? What if I need the bathroom? Anyone want to play a game? It's still day one. This is taking forever. That's it. I feel metamorphosized enough. Is, is that how it works? No. Look out, world. Feast your eyes on this beautiful butterfly. How do I look? Transform. Time to spread my wings and fly. Wait, where are my wings? Splat. Time for a new approach. Okay, you can do this. You can be patient. Oh, who am I kidding? I can't be patient. You are the little caterpillar that could. I am the little caterpillar that couldn't. Get a grip. You can. I can't. I can't. You can. I can't. You can. I can't. You can. I can't. You can. Can't. Can. Can't. What do you think the squirrel thinks? What is going on in there? Day one, I can be patient. Day two, patience is all in the mind. Day three, be one with the chrysalis. Day four, deep breath in. Day five, and out. Look, day six, day seven, I'm doing it. Day eight, just be patient. Day nine, just be patient. Day 10, day 11, two weeks later. I did it! I'm a butterfly. You know, I do feel transformed. Starting now, I'm going to be way more patient. That's great. Hey, where are you all going? We're migrating. Migrating, right, right. Wait for me. Are we there yet? (laughs) Again, words from Kate Walker. In between, storm predicted, the horizon beckons. 
in between. Theology of process reminds us to step back. In between where minutia and galaxies intermingle with microbes and mysteries. In between liminal, that space where we wait, look, listen, feel, breathe. Let us be together in looking, listening, feeling, breathing, in just this moment, a moment of silent reflection tempered by the human background that surrounds us. Amen and blessed be. If as you sat in the silence, something rose in you that you feel a need to acknowledge, a sorrow perhaps or a joy, something moving within you, then I invite you to come forward and light a candle along either wall as we listen again to the music.
Our reading this morning is by Howard Thurman, who's of African-American ancestry. And it's titled, The Growing Edge. All around us, worlds are dying and new worlds are being born. All around us, life is dying and life is being born. The fruit ripens on the tree. The roots are silently at work in the darkness of the earth against a time when there shall be new leaves, fresh blossoms, green fruit. Such is the growing edge. It is the extra breath from the exhausted lung, the one more thing to try when all else has failed, the upper reach of life when weariness closes in upon all endeavor. This is the basis of hope in moments of despair. The incentive to carry on when times are out of joint and people have lost their reason. The source of confidence when worlds crash and dreams whiten into ash. The birth of the child, life's most dramatic answer to death. This is the growing edge incarnate. Look well to the growing edge. I learned a lot about insects in the last congregation I served. I was in Manhattan, Kansas, where there was both an ag school and the USDA Agricultural Research Center, and we had more entomologists, insect scientists in that congregation than I had ever met before. So I learned something about insects. The caterpillar. Inside the chrysalis is literally digesting itself, actually using its own digestive juices to break down its own body into undifferentiated cells, cells that can become anything. Well, not all of its body. There are pieces that remain intact, like the tracheal tubes. Plus, there's some stuff in there um, already, imaginal discs, that are prepared under the right circumstances to turn into butterfly parts. Eyes, antennae, legs, mouth parts, genitals, and of course, wings. Wings that allow the butterfly to take off and soar, leaving behind its old life, limited to a small patch of earth to be able to travel Anywhere, or at least on its instinctual migration path. But before the wings, there's the cocoon. No wonder the caterpillar is impatient. Before we get to those glorious wings, we have to soak in the goo. Not a fun place. Of course, metaphors like caterpillars turning into butterflies cannot fully represent human experience. I simply want to introduce the idea that the in-between time required for transformation is not always easy or pleasant. Have any of you ever been through labor to birth a child? French Reform Rabbi Delphine Hoverlure talks about a Hebrew word, mashbur, 
which means crisis, yes, and it carries a deeper meaning. It comes from the name of a tool that's used in birthing and relates to a place of breach, the mouth of the womb. She says, it's a time of anger and hope, death and life. It's the birthing of something new, and no one knows what that's going to be. Or maybe you've moved sometime. You're not in one place or another place. You're in between. In between can feel really crappy, messy, unpredictable, controversial. No wonder we so often want to rush through transitions to get out the other side. It does not feel good to be in the middle of it. Another aspect where I draw on the caterpillar metaphor, the caterpillar has no idea what's going on or what it will look like when it's done. Yes, I know, insects don't have any self-awareness, despite Kafka's metamorphosis and Jiminy Cricket and all the cute little animated bugs that have appeared on screen since. The point is that transformation happens to the caterpillar based on stuff going on inside it, hormones and such. But outside the poor little caterpillar's voluntary control. So have I got you excited about transition yet? It's a messy, horrible process outside your control, and you don't know what's going you're going to have at the end of it. Nobody would sign up for that voluntarily. Or would we? Have we? In Unitarian Universalism, we do not commit ourselves to a savior, a creed, or a book. We commit ourselves to one another, to a covenant that we share, to a mission that we embrace. We commit ourselves to an approach to religion and spirituality, indeed to a way of life, and a way that if it is followed, will change us. I came into Unitarian Universalism from Southern Baptist churches, where I had learned about personal salvation and had rejected much of the theology I had learned, though not all of it and not all the forms, some of which I still loved. As a young UU, I discovered feminist theology and paganism and embraced a whole new worldview, though not in a well-integrated way. I like to say I went to seminary as a Southern Baptist pagan Unitarian Universalist. My theological and even my geographical journey has meandered in ways unexpected and even unguessable by a younger me. I swore I would never live in Oklahoma. And I have lived there longer than anywhere else in my adult life. I left Christianity for good, only to rediscover the words of Jesus through new lights. As the cantankerous Kentucky farmer Wendell Berry has written, you do not know the road you have committed your life to a way. So here we are, on a way, a path, a journey. And we discover ourselves in what I call liminal times, in between times. Not only in this church, in the larger world as well. We are living in between the industrial age and the culmination of climate change. We are living in between the pandemic and whatever it is that comes next. 
Politically, we are living in between, and I don't even know how to describe that mess. And in this church, you're in between senior ministers. One era is over, another hasn't started yet. Yet here we find ourselves, in between, in the goo of the cocoon, in liminal space. Franciscan ecumenical spiritual and social activist uh, Richard Rohr writes, The edge of things is a liminal space, a holy place, or as the Celts called it, a thin place. Most of us have to be taught how to live there. To function on the spiritual edge of things is to learn how to move safely in and out, back and forth, across and return. When we're at the center of something, we easily confuse essentials with non-essentials, getting tied down by trivia, loyalty tests, and job security. Not much truth can happen there. When we live on the edge of anything, with respect and honor, and this is crucial, we are in an auspicious and advantageous position. And I remind you that it does not always feel auspicious and advantageous. So says Richard Rohr, the in-between place does not always feel auspicious and advantageous but has more potential for truth and learning than the center does. We need courage to be here where we are because it is dangerous and unpredictable, like crossing a street, potential danger, and potential for truth and learning if we have the courage for it. I wonder whether that gooey in-between pupa inside the cocoon, the chrysalis that is neither caterpillar nor butterfly, recognizes that it still has tracheal tubes or that the imaginal discs will become butterfly pieces. I wonder if it misses its legs or its eating I'm sure it can't imagine what it is to fly. So the in-between times are confusing and dangerous and unpredictable, yet they are ripe for religious transformation. And as my UU colleague at Church of the Larger Fellowship, Michael Tino, has said, being comfortable is not the point of religious transformation. What then is the point of religious transformation? Why would we even want it? Other religions certainly have staked their claims on transformation. The individual salvation, turning your life over to Christ of evangelical Christianity, the enlightenment of Buddhism, other kinds of in-between times that lead to transformation may also have a, a kind of a spiritual underpinning or tone. The day you decide to quit drinking, the moment you receive the cancer diagnosis, The process of grief as you mourn the death of your spouse or sibling or child. Life-changing events, crises often soaked in pain, take us to an in-between place in our lives that can stimulate transformation. 
Crises, of course, can be positive too. Coming out, experiencing the birth of a child, awakening to a new career path. And the thing is, none of those things are limited to just one aspect of our lives. They touch every part of it. And though there's continuity between who we were and who we become, so much has changed that we could say we are a new person. Unitarian Universalism is more modest in its aims than many religious traditions, but has an element that points toward toward transformation. Our, Our third principle includes the encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. And spiritual growth may sound less ambitious and flashy than enlightenment or salvation, more gradual and ongoing. It's about the same thing, though. Change. We may see one as a steady measured march and the other as a rapid sprint, but they both boil down to change. And as I said a moment ago, transformation often comes in response to crisis when one cannot go on living as one has and has to turn to some other direction. Some years back, I learned something about learning from UU minister Gary Blaine. And even though my original career was as a teacher, I had never fully realized this. But as soon as I heard it, I knew it was true. The first stage of any really significant learning, of truly taking in a new way of organizing your view of the world, is a place of utter confusion, of living in the goo inside the cocoon. Confusion is the sign that your current way of organizing knowledge and making sense of the world no longer works. You have been introduced to a fact that does not fit. You can cram it, Enforce it, or you can deny that the fact doesn't fit, or you can reconstruct your worldview. And when you're in that place in between worldviews, you're readying yourself for change. Oh, you can resist change by denying the reality of things in front of you, whether your own mortality, climate change, or the persistence of white privilege, male privilege, class privilege, and so on. Denial is a really effective strategy. It can stave off transformation for years. Besides denial, another resistance tactic is to accept the truth of the facts but refuse to allow them to change anything else in your worldview. So you might accept that climate change is real and that humans are the instigators, but continue to embrace the idea that the bottom line economic benefits are the only factor to consider in decision making, essentially not allowing the facts to matter in how you proceed, staving off the crisis for another day, Or you can accept the reality of white privilege without accepting that resisting it means you have to change profoundly. Now, here's a secret I've learned over and over. Most people do not have a coherent worldview. Rather, we humans have different philosophies we apply in different parts of our lives. Someone might say God is love, but only apply the love of God narrowly to people like them. Someone may have one set of eyes for their business life and another for the way they interact with their children. Usually it's not as conscious as Machiavellian scheming or or as pretentious as hypocrisy. Mostly it's poor self-awareness and lack of reflection about the fit between our values, beliefs, and actions as individuals and as a community. 
If we want to live an integrated, whole, honest life, though, if we want our community to reflect the values we espouse, and some of us seem driven to do that, when we encounter the ways that our behavior does not match our values, we're forced to change. And that's what in-between times can push us into. If we have the courage to face what we can learn, if we allow ourselves to really notice. But we have to start in confusion, in between, in the messy goo, uncomfortable, maybe painful, and full of potential. And that's why we need courage in these times. I leave you with a few more words from Kate Walker. In between invitation and acceptance. In between symptom and diagnosis. In between sin and receipt of inquiry and question. In between love given and love received, liminality, a letting go, entering into confusion, ambiguity, and disorientation, a ritual begun, pause, look back at what once was, look forward into what becomes. Identity sheds a layer, reaches into something uncomfortable to wear. In between, liminal, that space where we wait. Look, listen, feel, breathe. Please join me in the words for extinguishing the candle. Extinguish this candle, not the truth, the warmth of community of a fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. A Prayer for Living in Transition by Joseph Cherry. If we have any hope of transforming the world and changing ourselves, we must be bold enough to step into our discomfort, brave enough to be clumsy there, loving enough to forgive ourselves and others. May we as a people of faith be granted the strength to be so bold, so brave, and so loving. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.